Welcome to the Screen and Needle podcast. Join Will, Mark and Andy, as they talk about a random selection of movies and albums and then assign an arbitrary numerical rating to them. Ooh, compelling stuff. My name is Will Holden, and today I am joined by Andy Melbourne. How are you, sir? I'm all good. Cheers, buddy. Excellent. And I'm also joined by the picker of things, Mark Wall. How are you, sir? I do enjoy being the picker of things. <laughs> the honorary picker of things. Yeah. It's I an might important go and job. Find a raspberry bush or something like that this <laughs> evening. Took me a second to one you pick. That's what makes you so good at it. Not, a, not a, an insect in sight. Picking all the right, all the right ones. Took me a sec to work out what you meant, but I'm there now. But yeah, <laughs> what Mark has duly picked for us uh, this time round is well, we're doing the film first. I think that's our usual step in it. Still feeling, feeling my way back into it. Sorry, that made me jump. I accidentally clicked on the trailer for, on the IMDb. <laughs> nice. Just to check, it was 1993's Naked and not 2017 Marlon Wayans Naked about him. Uh, reliving the same day over and over again until he gets his wedding right. Oh, I watched 2017, so <laughs> I hope it's that. When I first looked them both up, I mean, it crossed my mind just to watch that one instead and, and try well, and bluff it out. You did watch the wrong film already as well, didn't you? Yeah, I watched, I mean, I completely fabricated uh, that you wanted to watch Tyrannosaur and, and just watch that. <laughs> there was a film where, oh, it was... Um, the Marlon Brando one, the Western. Yeah. And I, uh, there were like two copies on Amazon you could rent, and I rent the cheap, cheaper copy, and I think you both went for the more expensive uh, one and commented dear, on. Dear. It was well worth the extra pound. I, of course, you were right. Well, I, I, of course, bought the Blu-ray disc like a self-respecting movie fan. <laughs> <laughs> and the soundtrack on vinyl and just sync them up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, very quickly, uh, Tyrannosaur rating out of 10, guy. Uh, well, a very quick, like five, really. But I won't go too much into it because I think that it, it carries similar. I've got some similar things to say. <laughs> but the one you, you did pick is uh, 1993's Naked, directed and written by Mike Lee, starring David Fulis, Leslie Sharp, and Catherine Cartledge. Uh, the blurb reads, an unemployed Mancunian vents his rage on unsuspecting strangers as he embarks on a nocturnal London odyssey. So what happened? Were you bored in Manchester? Was I bored? No, I wasn't fucking bored. I'm never bored. That's a trouble with everybody. You're all so bored. You've had nature explained to you and you're bored with it. You've had the living body explained to you and you're bored with it. You've had the universe explained to you and you're bored with it. So now you just want cheap thrills and, like, plenty of them, and it doesn't matter how tawdry or vacuous they are, as long as it's new, as long as it's new, as long as it flashes and fucking bleeps in 40 fucking different colours, or whatever else you can say about me, I'm not fucking bored. Yeah, all right. So how's it all going for you? It's a bit boring, actually. Tell us about your pick, Marco. Uh, it, was a, it was a voyage into the unknown. Mike Lee's stuff has never really appealed to me massively and that whole kind of British realist drama isn't really my kind of thing. Uh, however, I'd heard good things about this one and I liked David Fulis in general and what I've seen him, him in. I just thought it would be something different. I thought it would be a bit bit more of a, a challenge for us, basically. And I didn't know how that would turn out and uh, I still don't. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, Andy, I think, I mean, it's been a, a long time for at least both of you guys since you watched it. Um, mainly my fault, I'll admit. But I remember you, Andy, saying you, you probably felt like you had quite a bit to say about it. Yeah, I don't think like I've forgotten much of it, even though it's been a while. I had seen it before. It was the first time for me. Yeah, easily over a decade ago. I do quite like Mike Lee. His films are always interesting. I don't always love them. Uh, I think I said at the time when you showed it out that I really like Secrets and Lies. Mm-hmm. That's that's my favourite. Catherine's favourite film of pretty much of all time, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. It's 
Uh, yeah, it's a great film. I'm not going to go that far, but it's a, it is a great film. And I remember this being really uh, dark and bleak and a very difficult watch. It wasn't quite as far as I remembered. Like, I didn't find it incredibly difficult to watch. There's definitely moments in it that are difficult. I won't get too deep into it. I'll wait till I hear what all you guys thought. But, um, yeah, David Tulis in particular is just absolutely outstanding. And I feel like I'm stepping into Mark territory because I don't usually get into the filmmaking process that much, but I think it's it's really interesting the way that it's made. Now, I don't know whether I'll score it super... I don't know what I'm going to score it. I don't know whether I'll score it super high because I don't know how enjoyable it actually is. Mm-hmm. But uh, we can get on to that later. What do you think, uh, Will? Um, I agree with you on, on some aspects, definitely. Like, I think David Thewlis is is tip-top. I think there are, there are a few quite, like... Good acting performances. I think uh, Leslie Sharp is uh, is pretty good, and I think um, what's he called? Greg Crutwell as Jeremy, the posh psychopath. Um, I think like cuts a very menacing figure, and I think kind of plays that role out very well. Um, but you also hit the nail on the head: is that I just didn't enjoy a second of this film. <laughs> like, uh, despite seeing some very interesting elements of filmmaking. Um, I found this like a slog and the overall bleakness of it, um, it just made, yeah, made this a really like tough watch. Um, I think you're probably right by modern standards. Some of the cruder bits are not quite as bad by today's standards. I don't think by what cinema will show you now. It's, it's like despair in motion. Sort of everybody in it is miserable and without any sort of upshot of hope or redemption of any sort. I just found it a very a deeply depressing watch. Yeah, it's interesting. I can completely understand that. I don't agree, though. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a depressing subject matter, depressing, unlikable characters, but there's so much going on with it, and it's so energetic that I find it incredibly watchable, like it's zipped by for me. I, I just think the uh, the dialogue is is magnificent at times and Fulis is magnificent as you say most most of the actors are and I think it's incredibly well put together and I think there's loads of interesting things within it and I do think he he's an interesting challenging central character and just because we've talked about this many times is it necessary for characters to be likable I mean generally I verge on the side of yes it wasn't here because they're that interesting I mean it's kind of like a you know, we've mentioned like Daniel Plainview from There Will Be Blood or whatever before. I think if they're if they're a compelling character to watch, then that that can be enough. And in this case, it very much was for me. Yeah, I think it's a very engrossing film. There's plenty of things I watch where I'm, you know, staring at my phone for twenty percent of the film. Exactly. Um, and yeah, I didn't take my eyes off it. So like, I, I'm when I say it's not enjoyable. I can't go at all as far as well. Like the, the the odd scene was quite difficult to watch. And yeah, energetics, right, Mark? Like for a film that has essentially like no plot to it, no real like character progression and almost like sort of no nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's very like kinetic feel to it. It's incredibly like dialogue heavy. And a lot of the dialogue is, yeah, there's a ton of interest in it and it moves so quickly. The, the overall feeling of like despair, I kind of agree with that. And that's maybe why I can't mark it super high because I didn't enjoy that that much. But yeah, it's definitely grossing and interesting. I think it has moments of intentional black comedy in there as well. I, I think at times it's kind of funny and it, it means to be. Like the, the scenes of him just sort of, can't remember her name, unfortunately, but the um the first kind of major female character, the... um. Uh, Sophie, the ex-girlfriend, yeah, or, the or, ex-girlfriend or Leslie mate. Sharp, Louise. Not Blunt the ex-girlfriend, the the one yeah, who's in the flat the, when he first gets to it. Yeah, the one so who like, becomes obsessed with him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, like the scenes between them at times almost play as a really dark kind of sitcom. I found. Yeah, I do. I do think there's there is kind of humor in there. I think that's always like part of his films, like that sort of black comedy. 
it's it's it less, didn't... it's less so in this, but it still exists. Yeah, it didn't manage to peek over the uh, the otherwise sludgy wall for me on this one. Also, like I, I agree that there's the dialogue has a kind of rhythm to it, which for the bits that I did enjoy this film, in the bits I did enjoy this film were basically when it was away from the the house and the flat when he was talking to Brian, the like security guard. Yeah, that's a um, fantastic sequence. I like some of that bit just because they're very contrasting characters, but they're both, you know, they've both kind of got quite a, a bit of compelling to say. I'm not sure all of the dialogue is super interesting. Like the in, in that particular section, it gets into kind of like teenagers smoking weed and talking about, do you know, like there is no present, man. They were always in the future. <laughs> and some of it, I thought it, it, that doesn't feel like it's breaking any particular barriers with its, uh, with its insight. But it does, I must admit, it does have that like quite compelling rhythm to it. And I think that stuff is, is quite important though, because it sort of shows like he's philosophizing about stuff all the time. He's quite an intelligent, witty guy. A lot of the stuff he's talking about is all kind of conspiracy theory and random stuff, but he's he's clearly quite intelligent and like quick with it. And yet he just has either no emotional intelligence to or just doesn't care. He's just kind of like, you know, I sort of mentioned to Andy uh, the other day, we very briefly touched on it, but like doesn't feel like that far removed from say um, Ricky Gervais's character in Afterlife. And that he's just decided... I'm just going to shit on everyone. Mm-hmm. And what, why? Why is that? Because he does seem like he's a smart guy. He could do more. But for whatever reason, he's just kind of broken. You know, a bit of a and he's... superiority complex. I kind of got the idea he was, I'm not quite sure what the difference is, but either psychopathic or sociopathic, that his, his, he just he couldn't empathize with others. They're merely things for his entertainment. Um, and I think all um, that's really effective. But I guess without that, without any plot or character development, I'm not sure what the point of the misery is. I get at the end of the film, I kind of thought, I feel like I've gone through like a lot of a lot of despair, and I'm not sure what for. I don't know. Not sure. I'm I'm explaining that very good. Well, I think you are, and I think it's sort of similar to the Jack Nixon character in Five Easy Pieces. Like he. You know, he has chances to to potentially get out. He's offered like a what's the olive fine? <laughs> what is that? Olive expression? branch. Olive branch. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, by his like ex girlfriend and everything, and there's like talk of them going back to Manchester and all of this, and that that sort of dangled. I mean, I'm not saying he's suddenly going to like change and be a, a saint or anything. Clearly mm. not. But there are kind of hints that he he could change. And similarly to Five Easy Pieces, he ends up just running away and just staying what he is and is that an arc well no but i i still think it's it's pretty interesting mm. yeah the, the, the interest in the character is, is everything for me i i think that the comparison with afterlife which as you say like you made the other day in the pub like that is super interesting i think like there's a little bit more a sympathetic kind of view put on Ricky Gervais's character and that like not just the kind of justification for why he does it but also like you see other sides of his character which are not really presented within this you mentioned it the other day it's the starting point of the very first scene of the film where he essentially like I mean you're not quite sure whether it's actually rape or but it's heavily it is. implied isn't it but yeah it's it at is. least attempted yeah, yeah it is it's heavily implied um where he essentially rapes somebody in an alley like leading on from that, you're never gonna, you're not gonna sympathise with the character. Like that is the, that is the starting point that you've been set with. So whatever happens for the rest of the film, really, there's never gonna be a sort of redemption arc for that. Particularly, the character is purposefully set up like that, and it, without that scene, I wonder whether you would be more forgiving throughout the film for him. Maybe that's probably a good point. Actually, I didn't didn't think about it in that sort of frame, but. Yeah, you're right. He's in my kind of mental opinion. He's kind of fucked from the <laughs> from the very opening. And yeah, I know you're not supposed to necessarily sympathise with him, as he is he's cruel to everybody he meets, and everybody he meets are kind of broken and quite but there's, there's, equally often quite cruel people. There's moments when you almost do like I, I get the impression 
a, a lot of things are his fault, but he also, I mean, it's obviously a kind of commentary on like class and things like that, but it feels like him and like, pretty much all the characters in the film are kind of let down by the world around them. Yeah, they're essentially let down. Like there are moments that I think you can sympathize with him, particularly when he lets the kind of guard slip and you see him, the guy, the security guard. Oh, Brian. Brian, yeah. Uh, yeah, but the moment where the security guard, like where he's trying to get into buying breakfast and then with the like mm-hmm. waitress afterwards where he's trying to like stay in the house. And like there are moments where the bravado slip and you almost feel sorry for him. Yeah, I think, well, that's true. I think, like, my feeling sorry for him, any pity I felt just added into that that well of despair. <laughs> it's just more reasons to be sad. I mean, fundamentally as well, like, you, the first thing you said, Mark, was, like, this isn't your usual type of film. Mm. Uh, well, you're a, I'm not saying it's not, well, no, it is probably not necessarily your sort of film either. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I think, it's... Um, Whereas I love a bit of misery, like mm-hmm. give me a good, uh, a good gritty, miserable drama, and I'm right on board. So it, it, it's a... so I can I can completely understand like why you. It sounds like you're going to fall like much smaller on the scale than me and Mark, but I think it fits into as Mark was saying the kind of the Britishness of it as well, and I don't know whether that's because it feels more closer to home or whatever. But you made the comparison to um, Let There Be Blood, and I think it's a good one. Like, I think that's equally a character study of a, of a hugely unlikable man. And yet I enjoy that film, maybe because it's displaced in time and it's in a different country, and, and therefore I can distance myself from it. It's not that I'm against... I don't need everything to have a sort of hero's journey and a, and a nicely wrapped-up ending. Or um, no. So we were talking about Annihilation, um, the other day, and that that has a, a fairly grim, like quite ambiguous ending, and that was that was very cool. But maybe it is the, the sort of Britishness that almost makes it feel a bit too, a bit too real. There's there's plot to there will be blood though. Like there's very little plot to this. Like yeah, that, there is kind of an arc over the film and something to follow. Like it's not yeah, plot is something that I yeah I know that I I, I just get on better when there's. As as to why, like, who who doesn't? Like, it's hard to pull off a film that um, has very little plot to it. For sure. It's it's a character study, though, isn't it? It's it's just... And and a study of the kind of world, of that world at that particular time. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, the the thing that you're maybe supposed to think about is, is why is he like this? And whether that's an interesting proposition as a viewing experience, maybe not. But I, I... kind of was thinking about that there isn't much time to think about it because it's so like kind of fast paced with its dialogue that you know but that actually kind of makes me want to re-watch it I, I think I could easily re-watch this film and I, I agree I'm not it's not like fun but there is kind of a dark fun to it for me I, I just found it as I say incredibly watchable and um the other comparison I've made which is a bit of an odd one um but just kind of in the in the rhythm of the film for me is uh, to the social network where it's very dialogue driven. Obviously the social network's far more flashy and it's like editing and it's got a similar rhythm and energy for me uh, to that movie. I must and admit that... I've not, not seen it. I can't. Oh, have you not? Okay. Um, I, I, yeah, I get the comparison there. I mean, it's one specific thing with the comparison really. Like I'd say it's the like very wordy, pseudo-intellectual kind of dialogue to it. Is there not a bit in the social network where David Thewlis has invented Facebook? <laughs> yeah, David, David Thewlis actually plays Mark Zuckerberg. In it. <laughs> perfect, I, would, I would watch the hell out of that. It's, it's, it's not just that, though. It's, this sounds like a daft thing, but it, dialogue scenes within Naked at times almost felt like action scenes to me in other films. Like They're kind of just really crescendo up to certain points and... I think that's kind of awesome that it can achieve that. And maybe it, maybe it didn't for, for you guys, but it, it really felt like that for me. It was like, this is, this is almost like a set piece, even though it's just a guy standing next to a lift with a security guard talking. And the, uh have to mention the score, mm. which I think is super interesting because it is effectively just these consistently 
well, consistent harps and like driving strings alongside it. And they're constantly like shifting keys and just like never quite settling like on any, on any particular chord or anything. And uh, I think that really works for the movie because it kind of reflects the main character. You know, it's just like he's constantly kind of having to. Yeah, that is something I have to agree with. I think the music was really good and it's got that sort of like dreamy quality, which I think based on the the blurb describing this as like a nocturnal London odyssey, I think the kind of dreamlike quality um, like works alongside that because it is just a series of scenes, a series of events, a bit, a bit like a, a dream. It doesn't have that. While I didn't turn it into a more enjoyable like experience for me, I agree. Like I think the music was, yeah, it was particularly strong. I always associate with Mike Lee. Not that that soundtrack is particularly usual, but I think it's quite usual for him to have quite sparse soundtracks. But usually, it's really filled out with a lot of like background noise. And I thought it was quite interesting that there's very little in this. When he's having conversations in the flat, you're not hearing like the street outside, even when he was outside, like you don't, and you don't really see background characters either. Like you're just sort of presented with these people and very little like filled out from the rest of the world. Like I say, even down to just hearing background noise. I don't know. Is it, that seems like a, like a very purposeful choice and directly linked to the kind of like the title of the film, I guess. Like there is, there's nothing else sort of presented to you beyond mm. it. If that yeah. makes sense. It does. Again, not something I, I noticed, but actually it's an interesting point. I noticed it because I because I, I thought about like like scenes in other uh Mike Lee films and yeah, I was thinking about like Secrets and Lies, like there's that like scene where it's shot across a like busy road and two characters having a conversation on the other side of the road and like you hear like the conversation almost like just about over like all the rest of the like bustling noise, like at one point a bus pulls in front of them and literally covers the characters. Like it's it's like he's gone the opposite route to what he would mm. usually do, and it, it's still almost a kind of art house choice rather than like a mainstream cinema choice. It's just the opposite end of the spectrum, really. Like instead of presenting all the background noise as a big part of the film and background characters and everything else like he's presented nothing else at the very least i find those sort of choices interesting like the decision to or not to do it yeah in one extreme or another yeah that's actually pretty cool the way i ended my letterbox review because this kind of comes back to what you said at the start where i think i'm just going to read it it's not that interesting but i just said challenging viewing at times but laced with dark humor and a cracking script naked maybe dealing with tough subject matter and abject people but it's never, ever boring, which I 100% maintain. Now, I think it's incredibly important that it's not boring, um, but you, I got the sense that maybe you thought it, it was a bit dull or did you just find it bleak? Because there's a difference between those things. Before You're absolutely you right. And it's, sorry, sorry before just, I answer. <laughs> I was just going to say, before you answer, I thought you were going to say, at the end of your thing, we are going to say, which I completely agree with. <laughs> <laughs> this is my regret my my review which by the way i completely stand i completely agree with uh no you're right and it, it wasn't a case of boredom it was it was the bleakness it was like i said the, the the bit with brian was probably the lightest bit in terms of their conversation and the other events that are happening to johnny Louise and Sophie have like an awful time. Jeremy as a character is just a hundred percent despicable. Like I, I'm not sure what I no what, to make, what to make of Jeremy really as a as a piece of the film. I can, I'm not sure what his involvement kind of meant really. But it wasn't yeah, it wasn't a case of boredom. It was a case of just for yeah, just made it just made me feel glum. I'm not really with the Jeremy thing. I'm not. Like, this is a very obvious thing. It does, of course, but I'm not entirely sure what it was trying to say with it. Where you've kind of got uh, Jeremy and David Fulis's character, and they're sort of two sides of the same coin in a way, in that they're both just mm-hmm. kind of horrible, but obviously from completely different class backgrounds or whatever. Yeah. Like one has money and is successful and is a prick. Like and um, like arguably, well. 
definitely worse than the Felix character because you, you see no moments of even minor redemption. But it's odd that they sort of focus on like those two opposites, mm-hmm. like in terms of class and like status and all of this, and yet they're both kind of <laughs> despicable. I don't really know what, if, what he's saying with that. But, yeah, um, I, I kind of felt the same. Like it, it was probably a commentary about class in some, but yeah, I didn't. It didn't quite gel in my mind that one. I guess so. I guess like it's just introducing somebody else from. A... But it's not even somebody who has like a, a every every other character is somebody that Johnny kind of interacts with, and um, I guess in some way you learn more about Johnny through it as where. He meets Jeremy at the very, very end. They barely say a word to each other, and then he leaves. And I thought, oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know if the if the point is to just introduce somebody because it's commentary on on class. Like, I guess that's just a bit more on the nose. Like introducing a character who has more money and like literally takes advantage of the like characters below him in the class system. Like, it's. It, it, I don't think there's a there's much more to read into it than that. Like, I don't think, I don't think actually it's a maybe not necessary character. Like, I don't know whether it's simply to say that like his two people, that I don't know, they just feel as though they should be able to take and do whatever they want, whatever the consequences. And one of them is kind of afforded that opportunity by virtue of having money and the other still tries, but doesn't really succeed with it. I don't know. It's, but this is the thing. I, I do think there's there's interesting stuff to talk about the film. I mean, it would be very rare for me to have watched something close to two months ago and even be able to entertain a discussion about the movie, you know, having only seen it once. Like, yeah, I think it, that, 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 it that's a fair stayed, plus point. Yeah, it definitely stayed with me for sure. Yeah, and despite not wishing to probably watch this again, like, it is, it is memorable. Yeah, I guess the, the only other thing I, I will say is, and um, we've all said it, but... um. I, I do think it's one of the great screen performances, full stop. Yeah, All the acting is good, but particularly Fulis. I just think it's it's genuinely probably one of the best screen performances I've I've seen. Yeah, I, I think like it's easy to we do it quite a lot where we say like, you know, everybody was good in it or if there's like strong performances. It's not that anybody else was particularly like nobody was poor in it. So I thought the cast is is well cast. Um but yeah, Euless is just so like outstandingly interesting. <laughs> like his character is superbly interesting. And remember when we were talking about like Power of the Dog, and I was complaining that I thought it was a brilliant yes. character that was slightly underperforming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think like Johnny is a brilliant character that is just superbly performed. <laughs> like he's so like engaging and I think the the fact that he isn't like relatable or likable is irrelevant. If it's anything apart from a ten out of ten performance, then it, it's maybe not engaging you as a film because there's nothing I, else to it. But that <laughs> I think it's a great comparison actually, and I, I think the difference is is that with um, and I liked Benedict in a Power of a Dog, but with that it felt like he was acting, and with Hewless it just feels like. He just turned up and was himself, which obviously he was had to, but it's, it's that kind of naturalistic that it it just feels like he's just, that is who he is. You know, it doesn't feel like he's acting at all, which is kind of remarkable considering what a crazy character it is. Hey, I, there's so few films that I can remember seeing him as the, like, the focal point of the film. I, either he hasn't got that opportunity a lot or I just haven't seen them. I think he had it much more in the kind of the 90s, early 90s. But um, I, I agree. I think he's like head and shoulders, uh, kind of the best thing, uh, the best actor in it. I can't go as far to say it's one of my all-time sort of favourite performances or, or anything quite of that level, but well, for obvious reasons, really. Like, um, I didn't really enjoy it. All right. Have we got, has anyone got anything, any other burning uh, points or... Are we ready to score on that one? Happy to score. Yeah, happy to score. Anyone want to lead the way? I'll go if you want. After saying I didn't know how I was going to score it, I've uh, taught myself into a number, uh, which is quite high. Going to give it a uh, give it an eight. 
out of 10. Uh, the more I talked about it, the more I slightly take back the enjoyable experience thing, because it is incredibly bleak, but I did like a film that sort of stays with you like that. And I think like the main actor was so good in, and I thought the script was so good. And a lot of the, the filmmaking choices, such as the music was so interesting and it stayed with me. There's, there's a, I don't know, there's a place in my film watching for something that might not be fun, but it's, uh, I got so much out of it in other, like for other reasons that, it's still a massively like positive watching experience, even if it's not enjoyable. So anyway, eight. Well, I mean, that'll probably help to balance mine out a little bit. Uh, I'm going to give it a four. Um, it is, I can recognize that it is not like without really excellent points as you've, as you both mentioned, like Thewlis, the music. And I mean, the, the fact of the matter is it clearly is effective. It does what it's trying to do because it made me miserable. <laughs> I just, I just don't want that. <laughs> I don't want that as a as a viewing experience. So, yeah, I can't give it more than a four. Fair play. Um, I'm going eight as well. It's kind of a seven point five sort of zone for me. But yeah, it's it, I have to give it an eight. Really, it's an odd thing because it's not like suddenly I'm going to be checking out a load more of these kind of films because I feel like this is probably the one I would like the most of its ilk. You know, I don't, I don't know how he could have done that story. It's not much of a story, but I don't know how he could have done that film any better. And uh, as I say, I just think it's uh, fantastically watchable. And um, yeah, Andy was spot on. There is a place for stuff that isn't just like fun and entertaining. I don't mind being challenged sometimes if it's done well. As I said, it's it's definitely not boring, which is the ultimate sin of any kind of media, in my opinion. So yeah, Great. 8 out of 10. Cool. Uh, I think you guys are much more along the consensus of, well, you know, the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, as I said, I, weirdly, um, I do want to watch Secrets and Lies because I think you've said it was really good, Andy and Will. Obviously, Catherine's favourite film all the time. That's quite quite a bold statement. So I, I want to at least watch that one. But aside from that, I'm not in any rush to watch any other Mike Lee. It's, it's an odd thing. Like, I, I got a lot out of Naked, but it's not one of... I just feel like, okay, I got what I wanted to get out of that experiment and it was <laughs> successful and I don't need to dilute it by making myself miserable. I think watching. that happens <laughs> music and stuff all the time, doesn't it? Like you get one album of an artist and you're like, well, I don't need to listen to the rest of their discography. <laughs> the, yeah. Matt, Matt doesn't have that at all. With no, any I don't. music that you've ever found. <laughs> it's, it's very true. <laughs> I don't think these films are always, like the, they're always very British drama, but they're not, that kind of dark comedy that I, that like you mentioned, Mark, they're yeah. way more prevalent in some other stuff. Like something like Topsy Turvy is quite like funny in bits. I don't think it's as good a film, but like it's it's they're not well, they're not all incredibly they're not that dark. Desper- yeah, desperately depressing films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're no, just quite, they're just quite like sort of true British stories. Yeah, for sure. I just think as as a whole, like you know, there's the Shane Meadows movies, and I've seen a couple of those and. That they don't really do anything for me. I, you know, it's just generally that British drama, unless it's from the fifties and sixties, where they tend to be bloody awesome. About yeah. like Full Monty, what a film! Well, Brassed Off, that's a great <laughs> film. <laughs> yeah, I, I am not British comedy. That's that's a different a different kettle of fish it's completely. Comedy, comedy drama. Yeah, well, that's it. Put the comedy first and foremost. Yeah, Rustoff is the op- is the opposite of bleak. Like <laughs> the worst thing that happens is they threat to close the the band, and then oh, they don't that's... in the end. And everybody, <laughs> it's great. So. Your album pick is The Director's Cut by Phantomass from 2001. It has 16 songs, but still only comes in at a nice 38 minutes and 53 seconds.
tell us a little bit about your pick, Marco. We'd been in the pub for several hours. I was kind of drunk and realised I hadn't picked anything. So I decided to go for the one metal album I've ever really listened to because I don't like metal. And yeah, it happens to also, of course, be an album of cover versions of film theme tunes. And as you know, I like film music and stuff, so... Why the hell not? And also, I was pretty sure that at least one of you would hate it, which sounded appealing to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, straight off the bat, I think the concept's cool as hell. I think metal versions of kind of predominantly horror film and TV show themes. For the Um, most part, yeah. I've got to admit, many of them I I don't know or recognize. That's not always... A detriment um but the ones i did recognize obviously had an extra little extra little thing going on for it yep <laughs> I'm looking at andy, and looking at andy basically like chomping big, uh, at the bit ready big, to big no, I'm, not, fan. no I'm, ge- I'm genuinely not chomping at the bit to uh talk about it i listen <laughs> right so i listened to it today and it went up in my estimation i will give you that much the reason i listened to it again today is i thought i can't just go in to the podcast and be like, well, I listened to it twice. I fucking hated it. Um, and that's it. That's all I've got. So I listened to it. <laughs> I listened to it again and a couple of things. Um, the thing is, it's not all metal, but as soon as it gets like, every song for me is just ruined by a bit that's obnoxiously metal. And I'm just so out. And I'm the same as you, Well, I know a handful of the themes the handful of the themes that I know, I feel like they're just worse versions of the themes because there's, but yeah, a, a big metal bit in it. Um, and then, but actually, there is a couple of songs that I actively like, and they're the two of which I didn't know. Actively like is is really pushing it. I don't mind. <laughs> um, actively like, like, yeah, two of them I didn't didn't know. Which which uh, which two? Experiment in horror. Has got like tons of like little jazz bits mm-hmm. to it, quite like them. Spider Baby, mm-hmm. kind of light, um, and uh, the Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. I kind of like his um, almost like R and B vocals over it. <laughs> I find quite interesting. <laughs> You know, you're not feeling charade. Uh, no, I think you shouted that out to me, and no, not massively. No, uh, the thing is, it's the least metal, but I just don't like. I just didn't think it was a very good song. Right? Oh, wow. Boring as a song. <laughs> Absolute scandalous comments here. But some of the ones that I knew, like Kate Fear, Rosemary's Baby, The Godfather, like they're just just the only bits of the song I like. Really, are the original theme. So The Godfather, just like the first like ten seconds. Yeah, even the like the sort of metal version of the theme because they didn't literally bring the theme into it. There's only two bits in that song I think that are really metal, but um, but it's yeah, it's enough to. I just, I just found it difficult to listen to. I didn't want to listen to it. See, I, mean, I don't think that I don't think that is unreasonable. Um, I happen to thoroughly enjoy a bit of metal, lovely bit of metal on a sunny day. Um, and I found that, I think you're right, though, it's that sense of obnoxiousness. But I find it very, like, tongue-in-cheek, and I find that quite endearing to be that you do just sort of take these often quite gentle melodic themes and then just slap a load of metal on the end. Um, I think Mike Patton's voice is the the best thing that covers every track. Like, it is unique. It's 
it has an incredible range of both sort of singing and screaming and being well, all it, it over just, the place. It just has an absolute like chameleon voice, doesn't it? Like mm. it's mad that it's the same singer across the whole album. And it just carries this this <laughs> character with it as well that it, you feel like he's just having a good time, and I can't help but have a good time with him, like listening to. I mean, I'm what not, he's doing. I'm not going to go that far, but it, it's not just the like the actual like physical vocal range. It's the switch up in styles and stuff. And you, you just get the feeling that you could present him with anything, and he'd be able to sing it like um, reasonably within that genre. I have no doubt at all that if you presented him like a jazz standard, that he'd be able to do a like a great jazz voice. Like if he. Yeah, presented with anything, like it wouldn't matter. Absolute chameleon yeah. voice. Well, as you say, but, it's an experiment in terror and charade, aren't they? They're both like pretty jazz heavy. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I think it's worth mentioning that a lot of those vocals are obviously that they're not on the original song. A lot of them are instrumentals. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's pretty oh, I cool. Am the Godfather, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> and he just scat, he essentially just scats through that, doesn't he? I think he like, does on a lot of them, yeah. Yeah. But there's there's some absolutely top moments like and this this is I think what elevates it to some degree for me, is that like I I think back to like the Pomp Lemuse record, where for the most part it's just let's cover a song in exactly the same way as it already exists. Cool. Okay. No, no problem. But if you're going to do a cover, at least mix it up a bit. And they're a metal band and they're doing a series of covers. There there is going to be metal in it. And I fundamentally agree. I don't like metal, to be clear. I still don't. And the metal bits are my least favourite bits. But I think it's dead interesting that they did it. And there are some awesome bits that have a metal vibe, which I do like. For example, the end of Rosemary's Baby. doesn't exist in the original song at all uh just an awesome little breakdown with the uh they take the last line of the movie or whatever what have they done to its eyes and then he just starts screaming it with a cool it's just like i don't know how anyone couldn't get a little bit kind of psyched by that that's when metal's at its best when you just get that like moment of unleash and it yeah uh, it does just some, there's something it gets off the endorphins bit um i think they've both been mentioned now but the two babies Rosemary's Babies and Spider Baby, I think, are two of my absolute highlights of the whole album. <laughs> Spider Baby's so much fun. Like it's got it's just so thing. jaunty, isn't it? Like it reminded me of something spider- like the Monster Mash. It had that sort of faux spooky kids yeah, Halloween yeah, thing totally. going on. Totally. Like Spider Baby. Yeah, favorite track for me. <laughs> Screams, bones, bats and bones, teenage monsters and haunted homes. The ghost on the stair, the vampires fight. Better beware, there's a full moon tonight. There are some on here that go a bit too, like too far. I think one step beyond is a theme that I don't recognise, and then all the song does is kind of play it like really thrashy and I don't think did enough to kind of quite get my attention but I think it starts real strong I think it's got the babies in the middle and then the last two tracks Twin Peaks and I agree with Mark I think Sherrard is a is a killer it's Mancini classic man it's a great movie as well but uh, yeah Roberto um, Mancini of course <laughs> yeah <laughs> his uh, his grandson <laughs> famous composer yeah I'm surprised you don't think that's a good song because that's like an awesome melody <laughs> um but yeah i i i don't know there's, there's quite a few of the songs i like to be honest i like vendetta that's the john barry one it's yeah. incredibly minor barry but that's another one where it feels johnny and it's not really something i'd thought about will but you kind of nailed it before i think where you just said 
he sounds like he's having fun with it. It's not like, you know, I think the, the problem with metal a lot of the times is it's like, you know, oh, they're, they're, they're dead serious, you know, it's always oh, so emotional and like emo, basically. And yeah, in this, ca- so in this case, is, yeah. yeah, in this case, he is just absolutely having fun and clearly is just a fan of old like school, like themes and stuff. And yeah, I do, I do get a kick out of that. You know, I don't. I don't think it's that far removed from the from the Bungle records, really. No, not in in several ways. Like, there's a lot of similarities. I think I think Bungle is simply more interesting. Like, I think it being that it's built on original tracks, mm. they they explore even more so with things like the instrumentation and stuff. I think, particularly uh, in like California. But I think it's I, a lot heavier as well. This, which is the exact thing that puts me puts me off. Sure, sure. Um, but kind of, as I said at the top, I think I like the idea. I just, that already sets me up on a kind of positive. It's just the the basic concept of it is interesting. Um, I kind of absorb this as an album as well. You know, there are songs in it individually that I like, but because most things are so short, you know, you've got lots of tracks, some that are less than a minute. I mean, one that's four seconds, but it's neither here nor there. Um, and a couple that are less than two minutes. Um, it's not as if they run into one another, but I think it it works as a sort of atmosphere in general. I agree, and I also think it's uh, it's one of the rare albums. I think I probably well, no, I do, I do. I prefer the second half of the album to the first. I think, yeah, could probably lean into that. I think uh, you say one step beyond didn't do a huge amount for me. I think Night, the Hunter and Cape Fear are both like quite interesting but are just almost little here's the idea and then it moves on i don't know i quite quite like a, a lot of this album i like the idea generally that mike Patton is sort of this auteur of metal and is you know taken seriously by a wide berth of musicians and, and so you know seen as doing something interesting because i think he does like i think he's earned that that sort of reputation but there's not many people like him doing original stuff I've not I've not done any sort of research, but I will say like I can I can appreciate the like musicianship on the album. Uh Dave Lombardo, I I don't know who that is. Uh but the drummer who I I'm presuming is like a metal drummer, uh just by the sound of the band. Why wouldn't you have a metal drummer? But you know, Experiment in Terror is the most obvious example to me. Like it's a but it's just jazz drums throughout the entire lot. Best luck you can buy. Won't touch you this time. One day is dirty. Like I, I, sort of, I appreciate the musicianship to it. I've looked it up. Like the drummer is from Slayer, the guitarist yeah. is from Melvin's, and the mm. bassist is has just worked in other Mike Patton stuff. Yeah, right. But it's an album at, at points in my life, uh, you know, where I would have put it in my sort of top twenty records, uh, and it has gone significantly down from that. But. You know, I've, I've got to sort of take into consideration the fact that I used to absolutely love it. And it's it's still kind of one of the only metal albums I would kind of keep in a collection. I get that, though. Like, I would score it... I'm going to end up scoring it higher than I would almost any other metal album. Admittedly, I know very few. <laughs> because it just... It, there's loads of aspects of it that are metal. My favourite songs are the ones that are the least metal or I like the other elements of it enough that I like don't mind the song, despite the fact that there's a chunk of it that I dislike. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's sometimes a benefit of metal as a genre is that it doesn't, it's not always um, a very melodic as you'd imagine. And it's often quite sort of progressive or at least in a technical sense, quite progressive. It means it kind of opens the door for, that kind of genre bending a bit more fluidly than I think some of the music forms quite like do. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I always just thought metal was one of those that was fairly inflexible. But like there yeah. isn't a lot of metal crossover. I think, hands. as Mark was saying about it being like uber serious and very like po faced, and I mean, there's there of course there's fucking tons of that. Like that is probably the majority of metal. But I think there are characters like Mike Patton, things like Here's Legend, and some other bands that just they approach it with a much more. Um, childlike sort of tongue-in-cheek attitude. Yeah, sort of a fun outlook to it. Yeah. I think it's interesting as well, like, it's, it's clearly, like, fresh metal. There's no real showmanship to speak of. I feel like in a lot of metal, it's very showy, isn't it? There's, like, you know, fret wankery guitar solos and just, like, fills all over the place. And there, there isn't that much of that in this, which mm-hmm. it, it does kind of pay respect to the original songs. You're absolutely right. There's some absolute like fret wankery. You get sort of hair metal and Van Halen and stuff, and that's kind of the primary focus is being the fastest shredder you can. Mm-hmm. But you're right. This is like thrash metal. This is closer to punk. This is more like DIY in your garage. Yeah, exactly. Playing as fast as you can, but it's just bar chords. You know? I just think it's super interesting. Uh, is it? I'm not sure it's going to be an album I'm going to come back to loads. Like there mm. are there are metal albums I just prefer, but. There's nothing that kind of rides its concept as as interestingly as this album does. Shall we score it? Yep. I'm ready yeah. to go. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it an eight out of ten. I uh I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think like the the basic sound of it with the super predominant drums, as you say, thrashy guitars, combined with Mike Patton's sort of gleeful experiment with clearly film and TV that he loves. I was absorbed. Uh nice bit of synergy here. Um did you give the film four? I did. And I gave the film eight. Going to give the album four. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it would ruin things completely, wouldn't it, if I didn't give it an eight? So I'm going to give it an eight. And at the end of the day, like, you've got to remember, there's, like, there's tracks on there which we didn't really mention, but, like, you know, you've got Henry Mancini, uh, John Barry, Jerry Goldsmith, Nino Rota... Um, tons more like uh, Angelo Badalamenti. Um, you yeah, know, these are I'm not these arguing. are these are yeah, but that's what I'm saying. They're they're great composers, and uh, I just fundamentally like those tunes. Yeah, you know? ag- agreed. Like that's the frustrating thing about things like The Godfather, Kate Fair, Rosemary's Baby, like the ones that I know but I didn't like. Like you've just ruined a good theme. Thank you for joining us on the Screen and Needle podcast. Uh, We're going to start working towards a Martin Scorsese special, um, but because that's going to have a bit of prep time, we're going to throw together a few short episodes in the interim, uh, including Bo Burnham's Inside Outtakes, Stranger Things Season 4 mini-review and predictions for Part 2, and uh, and a couple of other cool things. (laughs) 